0: Hello, and welcome to the new Pedagodzilla On Tour podcast feed. You join us now for our mini-series, recorded at Playful Learning 2023, on fabulous formative failures, and the Danish movement Pissedaleg Undervisning, or Piss Poor Teaching. If you want to listen to our other content of understanding pedagogic theories through the lens of pop culture, then head on over to pedagodzilla.com where you can find our entire back catalogue of episodes, and subscribe to this and our main podcast feed. And over now to Playful Learning 2023, and our discussions on fabulous formative failures and piss-poor
1: teaching. Okay, we're all back in the room, and, you, and I've got the right microphone turned up this time. And so, right then, we are here with Pedagodzilla. We are here at the Playful Learning Conference. Uh, I am now in charge of the mixing desk, and I am not doing a good job of it so far. But there we go. Fabulous failures and what we've learned from them. So, um, yes, we're joined here by uh, Alistair and Laura. Uh, I've just been in a session with Alistair and Laura, which was a role-play game where we which was led by Rebecca, where we had to pretend to be members of uh, French Village. Yep. Uh, and then decide whether or not to bomb uh, bomb the church or not. went really well. Uh, Rebecca is um, now recovering in the background <laughs> and waving. Alistair was my father, and I had to try it. And, and so, yes, we're, so we've already bonded. Father, how are you? Uh, and so, okay, so Alistair, tell us a bit about yourself.
2: Uh, yeah, so, uh, yeah, my name is Alistair Atchison. I'm a game developer I'm based down in Bristol. Um, i do um, I make games that uh, involve strange controllers, so i've made games played using paper shredders and swimming pool inflatables and barcode scanners and things um, and I also do interactive performances and that's uh, what I've come to do here at Playful Learning is I am going to be doing a show tonight all about crowd creativity where everybody in the audience gets to make creative contributions to the show.
1: Oh, okay, and that's the one. At the one at the same that's time as Simon yep. is doing his chemistry creativity thing. Yeah, and as you were saying, Simon's my as I was saying, Simon's my line manager. So I might have to be at that. But <laughs> yours is two hours long, yeah. so.
2: Mine's two hours long, so I'll be doing it, you know, you can come along for the first half hour, and then go away for half an hour, come back an hour later, see what's changed for the grand finale, would, you know, see how kind of tired work. out I am.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and Laura, do you want to tell us about, you know, Laura, uh, on last year's podcast, Anna's done an episode of Pedagodzilla as well, um, so do you want to tell us about yourself?
3: Yeah, hi, um, I'm... Dr. Laura Mitchell, I teach uh, business management at the University of York, which sounds like it should be super boring, Um, but I try and make it more exciting, and I love to do things involving LARP, play, card games at the moment, and I'm working on um, both improving a card game that I developed for my students last year after being inspired uh, by coming to Playful Learning and also speaking to the wonderful hosts of the Pedagodzilla podcast.
1: Thank you very much. And uh, you saying that you had a very early start this morning.
3: I did have a very early start, and now I'm very tired.
1: And I'm and I was here last night, and I still didn't get out of bed until half past nine.
3: <laughs> and. That makes me want to eviscerate you.
1: <laughs> there was a rumour that I'd actually disappeared and was <laughs> hidden in Mike's bag or something. But, um, <laughs>
3: well, he does unfold a lot of things out of that
1: bag. <laughs> yeah, I, don't there, know, I mean, who there.
3: knows what else could be <laughs> unfolded out of there.
1: So specifically this year, we're talking about fabulous failures. Um, we're also talking about um, teaching, but we'll, we'll go to the failures route. And so, um, Alistair, you want to tell us about a particularly fabulous failure that you've experienced? I would love to. Um, so yeah. It's just,
2: <laughs> the fun thing about this is I know I'm I'm giving this, I'm t- telling you this second time around yeah. now, because first time I told the whole story, and then you realised you hadn't been recording it. So yeah. uh so now I've got to try and come back with the same level of naturalness that yeah, uh I would have had if I was telling it fresh. Ever. Um but basically, I mean I so I do these interactive stage mm-hmm. shows. Um and this would have been about five years ago. Um, I, I'd been doing my, it was my very first show, but I'd been doing it for about a year, two years at that point. So I was, you know, quite used to it. Had the, you know, the ropes down and everything. Everything was all go, working as it should be. Invited to perform at a music festival, uh, Nostock, um, if you've ever heard of it. No, I haven't, known. Right. I Where's was, uh, oh, I cannot remember. Okay. Um, near Sh- Shropshire, I oh, think. Okay. Um Anyway, so um, I, was, I was the first thing on in the cavalry tent at midnight. Um, uh, it was a one-hour show. I started with an audience of maybe 40, 50 people. And at about the halfway point, I looked into the audience and realized I had now had an audience of zero people, oh. uh, which... Uh, Which was a certain, that was a learning
1: experience. (laughs) (laughs) Did you say you got some more people wandered in or something? Yeah, yeah. After
2: that point, six more people walked in and they were kind of curious about what was going on and they stuck around. But it's funny because, you know, all of the games in the show were designed for a crowd of maybe 30 plus people. Mm -hmm. So uh, having to figure out on the spot, okay, how do I adapt this game for six very drunk people who have wandered in here out of curious curiosity and now feel like they're kind of too embarrassed to leave. <laughs> but it worked. It came together, and that's it, group of six uh, people and me. It was almost like we were a little team, you know, trying yeah. to rescue this failing show. <laughs> so I think we kind of left it with this kind of special camaraderie that wouldn't have been there otherwise. Oh, so there was,
1: a, there was a silver lining yes. to the experience then. Yes. Yeah. So And what did you learn from that?
2: Um, I mean... So, I mean, the big the problem with that show yeah. was it was on at midnight at a festival. Everyone who'd come in was drunk. Everyone was coming, was probably tired as well. And if they weren't tired, it was probably because they were on. Something was making them untired. <laughs> um, they couldn't follow any of the games. And, you know, I'd made the games, designed them to be simple so everyone can follow along. Mm. Drunk people are not good at following even the simplest of instructions. Like, sure. they become effectively five-year-olds. Yeah. Um did oh. the
3: game involve any physical coordination or was it just the mental engagement that they struggled with?
2: I, I would say it was probably the mental engagement was probably the biggest thing. Although physical coordination, it was, it was surprising what, what would have been straightforward otherwise suddenly became more difficult. But there was a lot of like being given a prop And then just staring at it, you know, it's a show where I get people up out of their seats running around and, you know, you give the most like excitable person in the room a prop and then they just stand and stare at it like, what is this thing? What have I been gifted? Is this, is this the Ark of the Covenant? Is this (laughs) What is this thing? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, no, okay. So I need you to go. It's a barcode scanner. So see if you can zap some of these barcodes and they're looking at it like, oh my God, it's, it's the baby Simba. I must lift it up to the light. (laughs) Um,
1: So um, is there anything constructive you could have done with that audience? Is there any way you could have, like, done something with people that were in that state of inebriation and tiredness?
2: Definitely. I mean, I think there's definitely... There are definitely games that, like, would work a lot better for that crowd. And I think perhaps the show I'm doing now Mm -hmm. is possibly a bit more, you know, suited to it because, um, like... You can contribute anonymously. You don't have to do anything physically active. I mean, you're invited to come and join me on stage if you want to, but I'm not. You know, no one's expected to do that. You shouldn't
3: you're... have told me that. <laughs> 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 you won't be doing
1: it. Um, you um, were up at what time was it?
3: No, never mind. Oh, okay. I was going to go to bed early tonight, but yeah, I've, no, no I've now too. been told there's there's a there's basically an open invite to be on a stage yeah. and do the creative things. Oh yes. Yeah. Join me, and 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 I have I have some things that
0: you want to do. Oh, this is exciting! uh, That that,
3: that would definitely add to your prop component. Brilliant! Yes, please do come along. Um, Make it happen. We'll 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 talk when we're not being recorded. (laughs) Uh, Because yeah, there's there's some things that oh well, Mike, can you convince me? Sorry, I called you Mike. It's okay, (gasps) I'm
1: sitting in Mike's chair. You are (laughs) sitting
3: in Mike's chair. But it's not like you look anything like Mike. You have way too much hair. Um, Sorry. So, yeah... um, your audience at this previous show yeah. clearly were, were difficult to persuade. Mm. So right now, I'm going to be difficult to persuade. Okay. So how w- what would you learn from your previous audience that you're now going to use yeah. to persuade me to get involved with your show tonight? Ooh.
2: Okay, well, the first thing is with the new show, getting involved does not require any... Any level of coordination, barely any level of understanding. You can type something into a little box and press send, and it will be added to my show. It doesn't need to be a good suggestion. There is no version of getting it right or getting it wrong. I think that's a big thing. There is, um, you know, you can literally, if you want to type all kinds of expletives into a box and have them added into the show, um, you can just do that. Do that, you know, as long as you can operate your telephone, you can... Uh, you can do that i'm no longer requiring anyone to uh um that the only person that the weight of the show rests on is me at this point (laughs) you know there is nothing that any audience member can do or can fail to do that would disrupt the thing so uh uh, that's i think something that's come into this show i mean is that a challenge is that a challenge (laughs) oh
1: Yes. Um, you I, cannot no- see this because this is audio, but the, a very evil glint has just <laughs> appeared in Laura's eyes, which I, is actually quite quite disturbing.
2: Genuinely, I like it when the audience tries to challenge me.
1: I like it when the audience tries to push me. Let's move on to, because I'll be getting told off about the amount of time <laughs> this is taking otherwise. So it's kind of playful learning. That's kind of the ethos of what we're talking about. And the failure and playfulness is sort of looking at how that's intertwined. What do you think it's about? Do you think there's a sort of playful attitude that enables you to learn from failures like that that maybe you wouldn't have otherwise?
2: Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think there is the you know you got to you got to see that crowd of zero people as an opportunity. Yeah, no, genuinely, <laughs> and, and I'm not I'm not I'm not
1: joking around. Here. Like,
3: is uh, that even linguistically accurate? A crowd uh, of zero people.
1: <laughs> it's <like> an oxymoron. <laughs> but, uh, I mean,
2: genuinely, I think you do have to see it as an opportunity. It's like, okay, well, what can I create mm. when I don't have the tools that I'm supposed to have? You know, what is this show? you know if i and i'm doing a show that is designed for an audience of 30 plus people and you know and i've got you know okay so i've got the six who've just walked in how can i turn what i've got into something something that does work for that crowd and you find new ways to play the game you find new games to play you find new things that are fun in it that you wouldn't have found if you hadn't had that failure where everyone left yeah. Um, they didn't all leave in one go. They just left in little, little, little trickle over the course of half an hour. Anyway, um, but like, um, I don't know. I think you genuinely, you have to say, well, even, even if this, this is like nobody is watching, mm. this is a performance art piece for myself. And because okay. you, you don't know what you're going to turn she up in that thing, so one. it's like yeah. it's an it's an opportunity. Yeah.
3: Okay. This is this is sounding like a really good way of encouraging people who are perhaps new to lecturing mm-hmm. in a higher education environment, and who get really disheartened when the student attendance drops like immediately after the first lecture. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah. It's like you're still there lecturing and there's nobody in the audience. Thinking, well, I'm still learning something from this. An audience
3: an audience of 3 all at the back and they're yeah. in the wrong room.
1: <laughs> or they're playing worms or something on the laptop. My final question to Alistair then is, yeah, so is that your your advice is always find something that can you can get from that?
2: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, you know, and I think like the the great thing about that six people who did come along is mm-hmm. We built a rapport, we built a friendship, you know, and it was, and that became uniquely special. That was like, there was a special show that only six people at the festival saw. Every collapsing castle is an opportunity to create some interesting ruins to climb on. and yeah. something from yeah. the rubble. Exactly, <laughs> All you are got to do is exactly. place one
1: stone in top of, on top of another and you've yeah. actually made something from that.
2: Yeah, so, yeah. interesting yeah, yeah. piece of abstract art. I don't know, No, <laughs> but I dare yeah, genuinely, I think, yeah, yeah see okay. it as a performance art piece.
1: Oh, we'll see how we'll, maybe, yeah, well, hopefully, I'm sure it will go better, better this evening. <laughs> um, Laura, then, do you, have you got a failure that you want to sort of share? With the listeners,
3: we could talk about the session that we were in earlier today. This afternoon, yeah. How
1: do you do? You feel ready to talk about that? Uh,
3: Well, it it may be cathartic. Okay. So this afternoon, this afternoon, um, my colleagues and I brought a um, prototype game that we have had some students developing. So uh, this is with Pen Holland and Laura Barclay Mm. and um, and our student development team. And our student development team have created a rather complex deck building game to replicate um, or simulate the experiences or the trials of university life. Um, and it's been a fascinating process going through the game um, and them working on it and developing it and talking about what we can and can't include and what may or may not be too sensitive or too realistic to put on a card because it might upset people. Um and um and so we, we brought this to Playful Learning, fully aware this is only a prototype. This is mm. this is not ready for production. The student team were literally printing it, writing the rule set yesterday. Um we received things at four PM, had to print them, <laughs> bring them down in the car this morning. So um we were never expecting it to go swimmingly. Um, But we had two tables of people in the room and on my table, uh, including Mark, um, there were a range of people who had never played that type of card game before and I think they found the experience really disheartening and alienating and I felt really sad and Mm -hmm. disappointed in myself that I couldn't explain it effectively to them or make it more fun Mm. and usually my in my own teaching if something isn't working right you know if if something's falling wrong with the audience of students it's my material and I control it and I can just change it at the drop of a hat but this the purpose of bringing it to this conference was to find the problems with it and we knew there were problems with it but I still found it really difficult to go through that trial of my own
1: yeah it's I mean I found I, I got you managed to convey how a deck building a deck building game works pretty quickly so it was you discard things and then you add stuff to the discard pile each time round, and then that means that each time you play that deck there are more things in it so it gradually builds in complexity I think it was the, here's the skills, and these skills get paid here, and that goes into this thing, and then if you've got those three things, you can buy that, and I understood the idea of buying skills, but there were so many different, if this happens, then that happens, and references, and I think it was, I think particularly in a session like that, if you've got more than 10 minutes to explain it, it's taking too long, whereas the (laughs) <laughs> we have to get a photograph oh, of this. Wow. Mike has just turned up with a third eye painted onto his skull, <laughs> which is quite extraordinary.
3: Mike, Mike! Sophie's Oh, right.
1: Yeah, they are now taking a selfie. This is great. This is great <laughs> radio. Oh,
3: we <wow>, really <laughs> love <bad>. that. <laughs> <laughs> Mike has just seen it for the first okay, time. No, now think.
1: I will turn the microphone on. Are so you going to join us? Um okay. So, um well, this is our second take. Cause the first take I hadn't turned up Alistair's microphone because it was on it was it was on full microphone 4 was on a really low setting. Anyway, they're all on now. Say something, Michael, to make sure it's working. le France. Oh, there we go. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, was compared to the the one that we just played with Rebecca, it was the rules were it, we got pretty quickly. And then the the complexity is an emergent property that happens during the game, isn't it?
3: I think as well, yeah. It's it's not a simple sort of like draw a card, play a card. Mm. There was this rather confusing of like draw five cards, then decide what you can use those cards to buy, then move some counters on a tracker, then put some things on the discard pile, then choose a card from a different pack of cards. Mm. So there's a lot going on in terms of the actions that the players mm. need so i think there definitely needs to be a little guide to that process if nothing else to just, just a bit of
0: streamlining it. i mean it feels like the core of the game was really strong yeah. but it's just like maybe one mechanic too many on top of it like one mm. layer too many particularly yeah. if you're not familiar with deck building games
1: yeah and yeah anyway so what have you learned from to going back to our next question then what did you feel that you kind of learned from that then
3: so um, there's a couple of things going on there. So first of all, I think I need to um, accept that I can't control everybody in the room. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and people have different different levels of resilience have, to being yeah. able
1: to adapt to the rules or patience with learning the rules. Yeah, and yeah, yeah.
3: And I think I think definitely preparing people um, for that. Uh, in terms of obviously we need to make changes to the game but one of the key bits of feedback that people were sort of really useful in providing was that the first stages of the game are quite complex and difficult and so you kind of lose people's engagement mm. if it's not sort of like if they don't feel like they're getting it it's not yeah. whether they do get it it's whether they feel like mm. they're getting there's it there's enough
1: to get immediately to yeah. keep them playing yeah the thing is, though, that we're not here really ultimately to play games. No. We're here ultimately to learn how using games can work in our education. Yes. And so, one of the things that I felt I, the only thing I felt I really wanted in addition was a little bit of a break at some point to reflect on how it was going. And then uh, James was sitting next to me and we were being inspired by the game to come up with our own thing. We wouldn't be using that because we don't work directly with students, but we do work with like learning design and how do you design a course and how do you make a course resilient? It was felt a bit rude, but we were like going off going, let's have a little chat about all these ideas that are coming out of what we are seeing here that we could use in our own practice and design our own game and what wasn't working like the complexity, but how you could cre- create... Complexity as an emergent process as it evolves. And so for us, it was a really successful session because partly because it didn't work, (laughs) so we could learn from why it wasn't working, but also in the ways it was working, so we could adapt those things. So, yes, not maybe a successful implementation of the game, but yes, and a a really a useful implementation of a session where we're looking at a game
3: in fact I know that one of the key things that I took away from the last playful learning conference which I have reflected on a lot in the process of developing this game with our student team is um, les cable's comment about how in many cases the games that she creates seem to work best as learning activities if they
1: don't really work. Um, oh, oh <laughs> I like that. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Michael, you wanted to say
0: something? Oh, I wasn't anywhere near as insightful as that. Oh, well, we that was nourishing.
1: Level high levels of insight, Michael. Oh, from me. Oh, I see.
0: <laughs> here comes the guy without the doctorate. <laughs>
1: um, no, yeah, I, here comes the guy that having to do this for the second time because he pressed the wrong bleeding buttons the first well, time. Right? Yeah, there we go. But, anyway.
3: Mike, you've got a third eye. Who needs a doctorate? I oh, do, I don't do. have
1: yeah, I've applied a, ta- a temporary
0: tattoo Which I've just heard might not be as temporary as I'd heard um, (laughs) to the middle of my big bald bonds. And what have we learned? So yeah, no, No, okay. So my point was actually so one of my takeaways from that game. So I do um, in my my sort sort of substantive role as a learning designer, we did a lot of student journey stuff, but a lot of student persona things and trying to understand the student perspective. From the OU, we have students with a very diverse and complex set of needs. More so, I'd argue, than kind of your traditional university, where you know that people are at a certain stage in their life. People are at multiple stages in life. And the mother flipping Life Stuff deck is inspired. Um, That is something I would draw into any student journey mapping session. Going forwards, I would say, hey, how's this going to work? If draw a card at random, bam, your foot falls off. Or, you know, your <laughs> rent goes up, or your something. rent goes up, or your kid's sick, which is actually your kid's sick, yeah. mm. your cat's got herpes. You know, it's <laughs> there's a whole uh, genuinely the introduction of life because um, we know for a fact at the OU that like life stuff is like one of the single biggest reasons mm. that our students drop out. It's, and it's like, okay, is your learning journey resilient enough to accommodate life stuff? Like, for me, yeah. that alone, that wild card deck is absolutely inspired. And I love it, and so I'm introducing did, it.
3: We did actually plan originally, or the students planned originally when we were talking about it, two life decks. So, one was going to be sort of mundane life happens stuff like you're sick, you miss classes a week, you know. Um, your dog ate your homework. That's very mundane sort of mm-hmm. things that would have minor penalties. Um, but the important thing is those were things that could be resolved in a turn. Like, yeah. you know, you miss a week, but you get back on your feet, you're all right. Um, and some of those things would also be positive. So the, one of the key things that we wanted to build into the Life Happens deck is that when uh, stuff does take students away from their studies sometimes it's really important nourishing stuff for their well-being they're connecting with other students they're supporting Mm. each other they're they're actually sort of learning life um they might be doing a little bit of uh, part-time work that helps them build skills in in other areas so we we really wanted there to be positive stuff in there as well but we wanted something that was a bit bigger than that something that might be an ongoing commitment for students to experience throughout their degree. And something that in future we could sort of like expand in the game, Mm. maybe if we develop like different variants or expansion packs for it. Uh, And as part of that, we ended up having this discussion about whether we wanted what is effectively a student journey game to only have one win criteria, which is you get a degree. Mm. Um, and the the game is uh, a fantasy themed game, so we've we've made it so that it is not just hundred percent like the real world. So it's got silly names and lots of puns okay. in it. Yeah, but there's
0: there's a lot of real world in there. There was some.
3: The plan is to kind of take some of the real world stuff out or or skin it so that it's a bit less yeah. real.
0: Oh, but it was so resonant.
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, so this is part of the, the grand plans is that it will actually also come with a big pack of card notes explaining what it could represent. Um, so I'm going to tell you the story of the dragon egg. Ooh. So we, we spoke with the student development team a lot about whether the game, sh- whether the characters in the game, the players, the students, should all start from the same point. Yeah. Because we know that people may morally be born equal, but by the time they get to university, they've all got their own difficulties in life, struggles, challenges, and their own like strengths as well. So currently in the prototype, all the students start with the same stats and the same information. And the only reason that their experiences change is the life happens deck. Um, And what we talked about was the students said, we don't want to make it gendered, right? We don't want to make it like, you know, racist or anything else. So we, we, that's why they wanted everybody to start from the same point. <clears throat> and I said, but regardless of what gender you are or identity or anything else, there are some things that will happen to a small minority of students. For example, you might get pregnant and have mm-hmm. a child. You might choose to do that. Or a member of your family might get sick and you might have to look after them because you're their only sort of like close family member who's available to do that. These are real things that happen to real people. And they were like, yeah, but it feels really tough to lay that on one player as part of a game. So we said, well, all right. The advantage of the fantasy theme is that you can actually sort of gloss over the details of what it is and still have the impact in the game. So we said, if it's a fantasy theme, sort of, you know, school of magic style, you're attending your school of magic, and what happens? A mysterious package arrives for you. It has inside a dragon egg. The dragon, when it hatches, will make you one of the most powerful mages. But you have to look after it for the (laughs) entire game. (laughs) So this was how we kind of suggested there could be occasional bits like that in the game that would give you a slightly different win scenario. Perhaps it doesn't matter if you get the certificate as long as you get the achievement points, which is the game goal, Mm. and how you get there is the most important thing, not passing the trials or the mm-hmm. coursework. Oh, I like that.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I mean, sometimes maybe the successful scenario is to drop out and do something more productive and, I mean, maybe that's not something we should be communicating to our students, but there is a, there's an <laughs> achievement thing that isn't necessarily getting a degree. You know, you could actually fail a degree, but come up with something, you've discovered something really useful along the way, I guess. So... Uh, Moving swiftly on from that thought, (laughs) like, oh, every time I've, I've, yeah, every time my life's failed, I thought, you know what, I'll go back and get some more education, like, that's (laughs) going to help. So, yeah, so what do you think you've learned about about learning from failure from doing that then as a sort of, um, kind of how has playfulness and your attitude to failure helped you learn from that particular scenario then?
3: So I... Or is it too soon to say? I, I think it's a little bit too soon to say. Mm. My first inkling of where I'm sort of processing this is that um, play... There's the whole stuff about the magic circle and play, and yeah. that means it's a space apart, and this whole thing we're trying to do with, like, glossing the game and making it fantastical to make it fun, you know, that's that's all great. But at its core... We need to think that actually the educational objectives of what we're doing, they're they're actually really serious and important to people. And that's, it's like our keynote said earlier, it's a privilege to play. Mm. Mm. And we maybe need to go back and look at that.
2: I mean, I'm quite curious about this, you know, the rationale, you know, your students had about... um, you know we want to make it light we want to make it fun if it's not fun it's not a game which i think is a you know quite an interesting and you know um you know suspect because i uh, you know in you know as a game designer i would you know naturally want to challenge that idea of you know it needs to be fun in order to be a game um and from the way you're looking back at me i suspect you do too um but i guess you know what is that thing that they wanted out of the fun was it that they were looking to make it so that it would be palatable for other students, or is it so that it would be something that could be marketed as a product if it feels serious it 's not marketable I mean what's there what was that rationale you know
3: I think that's a great question i'm going to take it back to the yeah. Um I, I think it was I think it was because they're not professional game designers mm. um, they, some of them would like to consider a career in professional game design, and at this point in time. I think that quite a few of them are sort of exploring what game design means to them. Mm. And part of that was about, we want to make a game a success that people want to play. So (laughs) it has to be fun because then people want to play it and they'll buy it.
0: I wonder how much of that though is being that little bit closer to that age where play is still very much kind of like a biological intrinsic part of just your life. So you're probably that close to it. So it's probably a more natural response. But well, of course, it's a game. It's got to be fun.
2: <laughs> well, I yeah. well, we well, sorry. No, I'm just, I mean, it could be just, you but know. I wonder the... if that's like
0: an age thing as well. Cause I think as we move further through life, particularly you see players kind of like maybe more of a, not more of a, but as part of a tool set as well. That you see yeah. particularly playful learning, playful learning we're recognizing at this conference as kind of something that's actually in your professional toolkit um like like your personal educational toolkit and I wonder if that's just because of where they are at that life at that stage of their life compared to where we're sort of considering it from from our lofty balcony now
2: yeah i think so or perhaps i think it could also be a kind of you know a kind of game literacy thing of you know the idea of what games can be you know what games have you played in your life and you know maybe you know most of the games that they've played have been you know a- Board games, snakes and ladders, whatever, Monopoly, the fun ones, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I, I and video games, to... which are you know traditionally. And uh, what's uh Sorry, I,
3: we we actually asked them to put their favourite game on the application for right. Oh, yeah. what, what was it? Uh, well the person who said Monopoly didn't get the job. <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh, my God. <laughs>
3: was, was
0: it Star Realms? Because it, I felt like kind of a Star Realms, Hero Realms kind of vibe coming from the um, some of the deck building and, like, the um, the stat tracking. Daisy
1: said Dominion and quite a few
2: times, mm. which I don't, I'm not yeah, I can see that. familiar with. Yeah, so I can, um, like so a they, deck builder. They,
3: they had quite a few. They had quite a few.
2: But I think, you know, if you, you know, perhaps, like, Um, and it certainly happened to me in my career, you know, in video games as early on, I I was very much the games I want to make, you know, fun. Yeah, of course they've got to be fun. I didn't even question it. And then I started playing, you know, other games, smaller independent games, games that dealt with more serious subject matters that weren't necessarily fun, that were art experiences, sensory experiences, and it opened my eyes to what games could be but i think you know if you if you'd asked me to do the same thing at you know uh 21 22 i probably wouldn't have even it wouldn't have even come into my mind to question whether or not it needs to be fun whether or not fun should be the main thing it's supposed to be do you know what i mean it's it's a kind of i i feel like games don't have to be fun is something that i have had to learn through experience
3: I feel like there's something about responsibility here.
2: Mm-hmm. I
3: don't, I'm not quite sure what it is. There's something about playing responsibly? Yeah. <laughs> this, is, this is sounding a little bit like a terrible yeah. government but ad. On the, one hand, <laughs> on
1: the one hand, you don't want to trigger bad experiences yes. or whatever. But on the other hand, if you are trying to replicate the real experience for students then you know it's like yes some some students will get pregnant so why shy away from that and it's about educating people about other people's life experiences perhaps as part of what's going on and it, actually life is really shit for some people here's a chance to learn about that
0: great game example of that papers please mm. indie darling fantastic game uh, harrowing fucking harrowing to play as a game also bit brutal hates you Oh, really? Ask you All to right. use your brain. It's Horrible, and asks you to make nasty, horrible decisions in a yeah. very authentic way. You have but to make amazing. notes. You oh, have, you have you to do. make <laughs> notes to play that game. Oh, <laughs> I had to have Laura sitting next to me. Oh, I Laura, she's got like perfect memory. She's like, "Oh, he's not allowed through. His papers don't match." I'm like,
1: "But he's got a son with him." <laughs> <laughs> amazing game. Papers, please. Oh right, okay. We'll look out for that one. I remember one of the most popular ones on the on the uh, quest is uh, office work work simulator. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that's because it's just in Royland. Oh. oh okay. Oh okay. Yeah, right. well. Let's <laughs> let's move on from Justin Roiland then. Um where so, are we on the questions? Okay, we're on the final one which is um yeah, so any top tips about making about turning around failure or learning from failure and being open to that process. <gasps>
3: Pick yourself up when you feel bruised, and talk to people about it in a supportive environment like the Pedagodzilla podcast.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, that message is uh, yeah, that's on message, isn't it? So that'd be good. Okay, so I think that's it. Anybody want to add anything else? Um, so I will attempt to oh, do. Where, my where, final where can people b- find you online? Oh yes, sorry, yes. Laura, first of all.
3: Oh, I'm I'm still on Twitter. Yeah, me too. I'm not on other things yet. Uh, I've still got
1: my blue sky invitation. Yeah. Yeah. And
3: uh, so you can find me on Twitter at Astret. You can find me on really boring LinkedIn. um, Or you can find me on the University of York webpage.
1: Alistair. And myself, um... I have at the cemetery in La Ville. I know. I know. <laughs> Mourning over the death of your wife and my mother,
2: <laughs> with the one son who bothered to turn up. <laughs> the other one was still in the deck. Um, so, yeah, no. Uh, so uh, for me, um, so yeah, no. I'm on. I'm on Twitter. I'm on. I've got a website and I'm trying to think which one's easier to spell because my name's Alister Alistair Aitchison and neither of those names is easy to spell. So I'm just going to say alistair.games is my website. A-L-I-S-T-A-I-R.games. You know how to spell games. Um, or if I remember to change it... Um, after this podcast goes out, creativity.show. That should be easier to remember. Creativity. Okay, creativity.show. Yeah. yeah,
1: that's really good. Okay, and we're on the regular ones. Yeah, we're, we're still us. Okay. What? Oh, I'm at PediGodzilla. And I'm at Buck Childs. Oh, I, t- I don't a to put you... on my accent, because that is my accent. And yeah, you could, you could, you could <laughs> I did it really badly. How could I do my own accent really badly? But okay, so I'm going to try and hit the intro uh, thing. And here we go. Give the applause, give the applause. Oh, Woo! okay. Which one's that? Oh, my God. There we out. go.
0: Yeah.
3: Oh, yeah. They lo- Woo! Woo! That's an audience.
1: <laughs> 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 okay, we're out.